0: Welcome in. Thank you so much for joining us on the CCA California podcast. My name is Chris, your host, alongside Mr. Kevin Nakata. Kevin, what's shaking, man?
1: Man, just it's getting that time where we're going to start having tight schedules with lufen biting <laughs> and all this action that we're having. And obviously, we're going to be doing our podcast. So this is going to be uh, episode number 16, right?
0: Yeah, 16, yeah.
1: Wow. It's crazy how it's been going on that long. And every single week we have great guests and we learn a lot more than we did before. So we're going to have some giant fish brains at the end of this year. I know. I'm looking
0: forward to it. Well, guys, this week, well, before we get started, make sure to follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Make sure to visit CCA California.org for all kinds of great stuff. Great events coming up. We've got plenty of them, plenty of charters, tournaments, uh, banquets, you name it. We've got it. Um, coming up here in 2022 but um, let's get started we've got a very special guest my good friend mr robbie Gant from afco robbie what's going on man how are you
2: living the dream living (laughs) the
1: dream thanks for having me absolutely thanks for coming robbie brings so much to the table in this podcast i mean my goodness you've been in the industry for over 26 years and you're still going strong and you've got a a very good uh, background as far as who you've worked for and now you're with an amazing company, AFCO, and developing great new products with them that we're gonna get into, especially this EKG thing. Like, wow, it's uh, I can't wait to learn more about myself. Um, but it's great to have you. Thank you for coming. Yeah,
2: thank you. You know, it's uh, anything I can do to save the fishes, right? So CCA is uh, uh, just holds a special place in my heart because um, they fight the good fight, right? So. If it wasn't for fishing, I don't know where I would be today, and so I kind of have to give a lot of the things that I've been blessed with to sport fishing, and it's kind of given me and my family a great opportunity to to do well in life. And and without CCA to, again, to fight it, you know, who knows? And there could be some other kids down the road that are in my same shoes that need this fishery to stay out of trouble, right? Give them something to look forward to and hopefully make a, a career out of it, so. Uh, yeah, CCA is awesome and do everything I can to support it.
1: Absolutely, for sure.
2: That's, uh, you know, the messaging that you just had
1: there as far as new people coming in, especially younger. Um, there's a lot of kids coming out of college and then, you know, some are coming straight out of just wanting to fish. And they've been on boats all their lives and they want to get into the industry at the uh, um, industry level, you know, whether it's corporate job or doing something on their own. And I think you you have a really good history to be able to tell someone how best to go about it and give some um, advice. Uh, You know, I I definitely have been telling some kids that are around in this area to come and talk to you at the CCA chapter. I want them to kind of know your story and um, especially learn everything you have to tell them. So uh, what what would you tell someone that's like in their mid-20s if they want to get in the fishing industry? Like what's a good step to take as far as your first steps?
2: Well, I, I you know, if anything, just don't give up, right? If it is truly your passion, you've got to find your way in, and it's and it's really hard, as as you guys know, it's it's hard to make a good living in the in this industry. It's very very small.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I was fortunate enough to um, working at Bob's Bait and Tackle in Lake Forest back in the early '90s uh, to meet people reps, sales reps that I uh, became friends with, and I asked to be on their pro staff and. At the time, pro staff was, you know, come work the Fred Hall Show or, you know, grunt work.
1: Yeah, there was no Instagram. No Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) No YouTube.
2: Show up at all these, you know, tackle shows or whatever. And and also back then, I was a huge freshwater bass guy. I was Mm. a tournament fisherman, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a pro bass guy and realized, thank goodness, at a young age, that being a professional bass fisherman is really hard. And most of those guys go broke. And they don't have families. If they do, they never get to see them. So a lot of the things that I didn't want in my life, like I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. Stability. And I, stability. Mm-hmm. And to be a pro bass guy, you didn't have any of that from my perspective. So anyways, uh, gave up on that and just made fishing you know, more fun. But I ended up getting a job with uh, a company called SPA Group. Um, and again they they called on my tackle shop that I was at and uh, I was the grunt you know. so I I did telemarketing and I did every trade show in the 13 western states
0: holy smokes
2: (laughs) so they gave me a minivan and a company credit card and basically said just go do all
1: these shows so I was driving schedule and everything
2: yeah but it was you know I'm a 21 year old kid And I've got a company credit card and a Mm -hmm. car. (laughs) But I'm traveling to like all these cool destinations. I'm learning all these different fisheries. Um, And then meeting
1: all sorts of cool people.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, and then people that I have great relationships with, you know, today is from the very beginning when I was helping out. Ken Eli, I think, is a great example. Uh, He owns Outdoor Pro Shop in Northern California. Mm -hmm. And I work like the Cow Palace show for Ken Eli. The, the what? Cal Palace. Cal Palace. <laughs> That's Interesting. Through so those that go back that far, but anyways, like we're still buds from like way back then. Like I That's so awesome. um, go to his place in Port of Art. I took my wife there on our honeymoon. Oh, you know? nice! And but just great people that I got to meet. Um, but worked up, you know, through the rep group uh, as the grunt and did mm-hmm. all the grunt work, and then finally a position opened up where I could get into um, my own territory, which I then moved to northern california was up hmm. there for a couple of years and then came back to southern california um and then probably my biggest break that repping is is really good um especially with the lines that we have but it, it gives you a good um a good lifestyle hmm. or i thought was a good lifestyle but back then being the big bass guy shimano was um coming out with a new line of high-end bass rods crucial Mm -hmm. and Dave Pfeiffer who's the president of Shimano uh, called me one day and he said hey you know can you come to the office next week I want to ask you a bunch of questions about fishing rods bass rods and what (laughs) have you so I went in there and he told me what this whole series was about and um, said you know just write down all of your ideas and we will kind of brainstorm." so I kind of took it from there I thought man if there's any opportunity to do something really cool like this is this is it so I Mm -hmm. um it, but it was a much smaller company then, right? I oh, mean, yeah. It w- I mean, it's still huge at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, probably, Nothing like today. I mean, it's like, a mogul. Like, yeah. I mean, it's literally crazy. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, back then they had rods and reels. Mm-hmm. You know, today Shimano has rods, reels, lines, lures, clothing. they got the whole gamut of, of product. Power Pro, mm-hmm. G. Loomis. Right. All that stuff wasn't there uh, back then. But uh, I, came up, <clears throat> I came up with a, an idea for a spinning rod. Um and I basically just took a Dremel and I dremeled out the front grip on the bottom. So back then, remember how the um, Fuji had the blank through reel seat for sensitivity? Oh, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, trigger? Yeah. Yes. So that was cool on a casting rod, but they hmm. didn't offer anything for spinning. So I took a Dremel and I dremeled out the front end of a uh, the foregrip of a spinning rod. To so make a split grip, basically. To, no, to actually have a, uh, where the blank would be through so now when you're holding the front grip your fingers are oh, touching wow. the wow so the same theory as the casting so i came up with this idea um and i'm like oh this is super cool or i thought it was i, I did not know mm-hmm. i'm just a, again <laughs> just a young kid that kind of had a, a neat idea i brought it to dave and i showed dave and uh he was like this is awesome like uh, <laughs> you're gonna go to china with me oh boy to the rod factory huh. so i was like sweet you know (laughs) so anyways we go to china we build you know this whole rod series um and uh we were flying from one part of china to the other and i and i just hit him up i said if there's any opportunity to build rods for shimano like it was just so much fun so uh, i asked him and we got home from china and two weeks later we're brokering a deal and went to go build fishing rods for shimano and while i was there i had the opportunity to build rods reels i helped Some with the power pro stuff kind of everything
1: i mean i remember the the Therese series when it came out and Mm -hmm. i saw nothing but your face all over those rods i mean it was awesome you went sea bass fishing with um tuna fishing when that came out eventually and yellows i mean it was cool to just i I never had known you at that time but just to see you know like now and now you're here (laughs) you know
2: yeah that was a fun project because that was like kind of in left field right where we just introduced the butterfly jigging stuff, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we had the Travala rods, which were super bendy but had a ton of power, and that's where Trez came from. Was like, let's utilize those actions but make them a little bit longer, more bait style rods, and then that's how we got to Trez. So mm-hmm. but it's fun, you know. I get to still a lot of the stuff that I was building years ago is actually still in the market today. So yes. definitely proud of a, a few of those, but uh, they have obviously move on to bigger and better things. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, kind of how I all got, you know, I got started, but you know, I guess that was a really long answer to your very simple question of uh, <laughs> uh, of what to do if you're in your mid 20s. You you got to get in with somebody and you mm-hmm. got to you got to do the work. You got to get in and, and and make a name for yourself and, and go for it.
0: You know, Kevin and Robbie, you kind of share similarities, especially in your early days, Robbie, where, you know, repping and all that. It's got to be tough work, even today, just to go out and really hustle almost every day of the week, just to, you know, hustle and make a living, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, just because you're there doesn't mean it stops. It Mm -hmm. continues to go. And, uh, you know, COVID's certainly thrown a whack in the whole rep business. Um, Mm -hmm. Everybody's taken back on that. Like some dealers just they don't want to see you you know travel stopped for a number of years i mean as a matter of fact i got to go on my first trip like this past week Mm -hmm. you know outside of our local dirt here um you know that was like long overdue but you know i'd call the rep and be like hey dude like i want to come out and visit some accounts and they're like well they're not even seeing me Mm -hmm. let alone bringing you out so we gotta wait till all this stuff kind of settles down so it's kind of good to get get back at it that's for sure
1: in the real normal world you know out there and (laughs) seeing people face to face it's really nice there's a lot of um openness coming back into the market for sure and people that are willing to see you and talk to you and face to face just doesn't beat it doesn't beat it man you can't even have this podcast without having you know a personal interaction with someone like
2: yourself so
0: yeah absolutely so robbie we um i mean i know you work for afco but tell us a little bit about your career at shimano first
2: yeah, so started off uh, as a product development or product development manager for rods. Um, did that for several years. I don't remember exactly how many years I did that, but that was super fun. Um, you were the rod guy for Schmader. I was the rod guy. Nice. And then um, I was offered a um, like a, more of a senior position where I got to oversee customer service and marketing. Did that for a little, and then also product development. So yeah. now I'm over rods and reels, and then wow. everything else. And then was um, promoted again to basically oversee the fishing tackle division. Uh, that was very short-lived. Um, that the work ethic you need to work <laughs> for that company um, to to manage all of that. That was that was almost too much. I just started a family. I couldn't mm-hmm. dedicate the time. Um, so I basically went to Dave and I was like hey bud like great opportunity I've learned a lot but uh, I, I can't I can't do this uh, anymore I need I need to scale it back a little bit so I went back to to building rods but my time at Shimano I mean I got I got to do customer service product development marketing sales everything everything every part of the business, every part the level. Of the business. Yeah. yeah and it was super cool except for um, warranty maybe huh Customer service okay yeah yeah right. I'm right in the thick of that one um, so yeah so I mean I just I got to, to learn a ton I got to travel literally the world um, I'm a million mile flyer with United oh uh, wow. uh, used to go to um, China four times a year Japan three times a year Malaysia once a year Uh, And then you throw in domestic travel Mm -hmm. and then we would try to do like an Australia or something else. So a lot of airline miles. But uh, I I got to see the globe on Shimano's dime. (laughs) So, I mean, and then fish. You know, I got to fish in some of these places that I'll never be able to go back to Mm -hmm. um, in just killer, killer places, meet super nice folks. Um, so that was, uh, definitely a treat for me
0: where, I mean, what's the most, I know it's kind of a loaded question, but what's the most interesting place you've, you fished
2: while traveling? uh, I was going to ask the same question. (laughs) So in Malaysia, um, Mm -hmm. there was, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like a small fishing village, like two hour drive away from where Shimano is located there. Mm -hmm. And they basically said like sailfish. Huh. I'm like, oh, that, that's cool. Like, what's this all about? So and we, we show up in, like, again, like this little tiny fishing village. And we get on these pretty crappy boats. Uh, <laughs> and they've got, like, the sunshade over the top. So it's not like you can really fish off of them. Mm-hmm. But we get out on the water and go to this first spot. And basically we make bait. And we go out what, what kind of bait is it? Uh, all kinds of mixed bags. Small, really? Small fish. was Whatever bad. was there. Whatever bit. <laughs> and that was small. They just kept it kept it alive in the tank. And <laughs> then that was bait. And they ate everything. Um, but we went out to this spot. And we're going sail fishing. Which I've done. But never this way. So we get to the spot. And he throws out the anchor. Hmm. And hmm. we're in like not even 100 feet of water. I'm like, oh, we're gonna, wow. We're going to anchor fish for sail fish. Like I'm missing something. Huh. And it's still semi-dark out, so you really can't see anything. But mm-hmm. as it got lighter, there were sailfish as far as you could see.
1: Really, uh, like like the dorsal fin was out.
2: Like feeder shows, fins really? out, swimming down swell. Uh, it was epic. Mm. And then <laughs> from the west, right? We run and gun our billfish here. Right. 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 So I'm, I'm trying to explain to the captain how I want to catch these fish. He had, doesn't understand a word of what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> but we, Naturally. Yeah.
2: So we basically, uh, he blows up a balloon, ties it on your line, takes out one of those bait fish, ties it on, throws bobber it out. Bobber fishing. Bobber fishing. Oh. And we crush the sailfish. But I was just like, dude, if we can just start this boat up and chase these things down, we're going to catch hundreds mm-hmm. versus waiting for the fish to come to us. But that place... Um, yeah i can't remember it but that place was like who would have known like yeah nobody even knows like this place even exists and it was probably the most epic sail fishery mm-hmm. that i've ever seen like if you went down there with a yacht with a dredge oh my gosh oh, game over I mean, <laughs> you, would, you would just crush um yeah so that that place would probably be huh. number one on a list of just random cool spots Malaysia, of all places, right? Right. Even thinks of fish. Someone might
1: not even be able to point out where that is on a map, a global
2: map. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. That's kind of interesting to where you know you have certain parts of the world
0: they share a similar species or even the same species of fish, but really it's kind of differing methods of, of catch, right?
2: Yeah, um, I'm I'm hoping they learned by mm-hmm. now. I mean, because it was they were all <laughs> green, right? They uh-huh. didn't really even know what they were doing, other than probably somebody told them. Take people out to this spot, catch bait. Takes people out to this spot, throw the anchor, tie mm-hmm. up this simple rig, catch fish, and right. customers are happy. They don't, they didn't know how to progress, They're right? They were they weren't given the tools by any means. Not like these guys had a, a. Drag. But they definitely had the
1: knowledge. They
2: did, yeah. And uh, actually, I went, I got to go back a second time, and the second time I brought lures oh. with me. They still wanted to fish on the anchor. I still couldn't oh. get the guy to mm. run the gun, but I did catch sailfish on topwater baits. Like like what? Like orcas? Like big walking, oh, big walking baits. It was like mm. a, a big spook. Big spook. <laughs> they crush it. It was so fun. And but you know, you're just I'm uh, just blind casting, just just mm-hmm. working and yeah. working and working, it, and all of a sudden, explosion and huh. sailfish. Super Interesting.
0: Cool. Would you? I mean, because you've traveled the world and seen different you know methods of fishing and all that. Would you say the U.S., at least us here at home, be a little bit more, um, I guess, willing to change up our stuff or willing to change up our methods or even creating new methods as opposed to the rest of the world?
2: We're up there. Japan is the leader. Mm, Okay. They are the innovator. They like to make things better. In the United States, from what I see from our consumer base, is it has to be proven first before anybody will try it. Versus in Japan, they're willing to take the risk. They're willing to take the risk and figure hmm. it out. Right. So like, um, you know, I've been kite fishing on the West Coast for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what a kite was until 2015. <laughs> right. The, yeah. The vast majority, right? Mm-hmm. Other than long range boats doing the double trouble rig, whatever. But that's the only time a kite ever came out of anybody. You know, was then, that that yeah. style of fishing. But now it's on every boat out there.
1: So, so what did you use it for before the tuna were here? Before the big tuna were here?
2: Same thing. We're still tuna fishing. Okay. Um, for yellowfin, for yellowfin and some, some yeah. bluefin and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it was all yellowfin tuna. Okay. Um, is when what we would do. Um, but
1: you scaled down the double trouble size, basically.
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and then um, what about yellows? Yellowtail.
2: Uh, we've caught we've caught yellows. We've caught dorado. Just you know, I mean, we learned it from fishing in Florida. And right. Uh, you know, you go out there and you get on a good drift, and there's bait around, and there's game fish around. And if they're not biting, but you can physically see them, if you got the patience, you put up a kite, you'll you will catch them. Uh, and it's an a, exciting strike. Oh too. yeah, on mm-hmm. a kite rig. So we've caught just about everything that this coast had pre two thousand fifteen when nobody really knew what it was. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: And it was kind of like our little hidden hidden secret to to local fishing, just to change it up. You know, mm-hmm. it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, I, we were doing
1: a, a podcast, a CCA podcast. I don't remember which episode it was, maybe six something about mm-hmm. the kite the history behind bluefin fishing off of a uh, cat yeah and there's yeah. definitely history of kite fishing do you know anything about that Is
2: yeah that, so it original. I, I don't i know a little bit um i've been kind of fortunate enough to hang out with some guys that are part of the tuna club mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the tuna club has the avalon tuna club the avalon tuna club it has uh all the history books i mean the really? places you walk in there and you're just for <laughs> me anyways you all you guys just because you love fishing yeah um But, yeah, they have uh, pictures and stuff from guys back in the early 1900s that are flying kites and catching bluefin tunas back then. And then, for whatever reason, it kind of just petered out Hmm. out west. Well, when the tuna went away, there was no sense of flying a kite. Yeah. Um, And then the East Coast adopted it for, you know, their fishery. And kite fishing in the East has been bread and butter for a number of years. Right. And it's just becoming part of our arsenal since, you know, 2015 to, to now
1: it would be really cool one day for someone to really detail out the history behind the very old early tuna fishing days i know there has been some work but i'm sure there's so much more to be done and there's a lot of people that are losing the history the ability to tell the history you know
2: yeah and that's where the tuna club comes into play like it's not going anywhere they've got all that stuff documented um and it's yeah they've got everything every year all the catches. Wool suits. Weights. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll back, suit yeah sure. back then it's it's toned down a, for the most part now. it's it's uh, you
1: Now know. you're wearing AFCO products. Uh, yeah, you're wearing absolutely. packed pants and you have yes. your samurai shirts. Yep. And, yeah, you guys. absolutely. Which brings up a whole new thing about, uh, well, not whole new, but you've been working for AFCO for some time now. How, yeah. the, what was your start date?
2: A little over two years, right before COVID started. Um, my wife, uh, another quick story, but my wife was... Um, looking for a new job and she came across from uh one of the job companies online uh afco sales product marketing fishing tackle something something and she found it she brought it over to me and she says hey what's this job at afco and, and i was like <laughs> i don't know but that's my buddy greg's job
1: mm, oh. so
2: i was like and i hadn't talked to greg in a, in a little bit greg stowsbury greg Stosberry. so no. I, I didn't i didn't know So i, I get on the phone and i immediately call greg and I'm, hey greg i what's up with his job over at, at AFCO? Do you know anything about it? He says, I know everything about it. It's my job. It's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, I'm retiring. We're looking for my replacement. So I, you know, asked him all the questions and talked to Bill and all the guys here at, at, AFCO and, and, uh, ended up taking that, taking that position. Very big shoes to
1: fill. You know, Greg is such a great advocate for sport fishing and he's mm-hmm. been in the industry for a very long time and loves fishing just like we all do. But, uh, now he's still doing it, but he's doing it for largemouth bass, from what I understand. He's got a whole thing, and other things, too, but he's really had a l- largemouth bass fancy for a while.
2: Yeah, huh. for a number of years. Uh, in the winter, it's bass fishing, and then as soon as saltwater spring starts rolling, then he puts away the bass boat, and then the saltwater boat comes out, and then he'll fish that all the way through, You know, however long the fishery is going to be, October, November, and then the saltwater boat goes away the bass boat comes back out so he's on a pretty cool year-round fishing cycle of must nice. catching big must be nice chris yeah One day.
1: yeah so so you've developed products for afco for um two years now what has been your greatest success story
2: well i think right now with the the May, like we talked about earlier um or you had mentioned it is really cool mm-hmm. um and this goes back to my shimano days of seeing ekgma done in japan and not knowing really what it was they were doing um, so you would catch a yellowtail over in japan and they would do this cool process and of course i had a thousand okay. questions to did ask did you them. see this firsthand yeah when it was when, how how many years ago was this 15 20 years ago oh really yeah 15 years ago at least um so and they, and it's they, been
1: around for that
0: long,
2: Yeah, for more. Yeah, they've been doing it in Japan for, I don't know exactly when it started, but it's been around for a long, long time. Huh. But they were doing it, and I had all these questions, but of course, the boat captain only speaks Japanese. I didn't have a translator. <laughs> so we kind of took what they were doing and thought we were doing those things on our fish here we were totally wrong
0: it seems like you find yourself in those situations more often than not
2: (laughs) yeah yeah so we (laughs) you know so we're guessing we are cutting tails you're talking
1: about him particularly
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we're doing all this stuff but um i thought you know from from afco's perspective you know bill shed does so much for our industry um on the 10 percent pledge and Mm. he has you know he's basically retired from his daily operations here at afco he's still here in the office like every single day but he does nothing but help support
1: mm-hmm. the fishery like yeah.
2: can you that, explain the 10 percent pledge really quick i think
1: people still like if they don't know already it's a big deal
2: yeah so they give back 10 percent of what they make right back to the fishing industry whether it would be cca igfa um, i mean there's a pile of different S. 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 Organizations, yeah. asa across the country and 10% of what AFCO makes goes right back into. They say 10%. I bet if you added up everybody's time here mm, right. on top of Bill's time, I don't think Bill's putting his own personal time in there. It's mm-hmm. probably well over 10% of oh, yeah. what they're giving back. Um, but he, the story is so cool, and you know, we're always talking about sustainability and what can we do to help protect our, our sport, and help protect the fish and for whatever reason one day all the guys in the office we were just the the yellows bit at coronados Mm -hmm. and they showed one of the sport boats and it had like the gunny sacks around the bait tank and they're just jugged full of yellows and i looked at that and just cringed yeah and i thought boy that is so bad for our fishery and specifically those fish and more specifically is the guy that now has to bring that crud home to eat it because it's in the
1: sun it's no no cooling no nothing probably wasn't blood
2: no and and then i'm like opportunity there are a billion seminars there are a billion youtube videos on how to catch fish there is nothing educational online or marketed on what to do once you caught a fish Mm. so i thought if i could do something there this could be really cool that kind of fits into um, you know, just us caring for the mm-hmm. fish, like what, what could happen. Uh, so we I've stumbled across uh, Andrew Choi, he owns the EKGMA Federation I rent him um,
1: And that that's on your spike here so yeah. uh, just really quickly, like what's the importance of the EKGMA Federation is it's just a... Um, uh, it's an educational uh, you know, tool to be able to say that you've learned from this person or that person?
2: Yes. So when I reached out to Andrew, and I said, hey, man, I, like I, I'm digging your whole program. Um, I'd like to learn more about it. I think there might be an opportunity here. And he was like, AFCO. He's like, oh, my gosh, he's super stoked. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, like, I know nothing about sport fishing or the sport fishing community. He says, I started the Ikejime Federation for Culinary and the Commercial Fishermen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, okay, I don't know anything about those guys, so I'll do the sport fishing. And so we basically made an agreement to where we would partner in everything that we do as far as um, fish care management. And anything to do with culinary or commercial would go under the Ikejime Federation and that anything to do with sport fishing would go under AFCO. So that's kind of our general agreement that we had. Um, So now we're basically telling more people than just fishermen because this is going to benefit everybody Mm -hmm. uh, in the long run Um, because if you do the process, your fish lasts longer. Mm -hmm. And if your fish lasts longer, you don't need to kill as many fish. You don't need to harvest as many fish. So if you don't have to harvest as many fish, there's going to be more fish in the ocean there's gonna be more fish in the lakes there's gonna be more fish for people to catch and that's the cool factor of EKG man what we're trying to accomplish can you give us the the
1: real run-up and education on how to do it and what it is that it's all about yeah so a
2: lot of guys when you tell them and and they it's too hard it's not hard I can do it it's it's fairly simple it's not a long process but to start, I've got a little PowerPoint presentation that I've been given to everybody across the country for the last several months. Um, but to, you know, to start off, everybody kind of thinks they understand the term "fresh fish." Mm-hmm. Um, but "fresh" doesn't really have uh, meaning. There's no data to support the term "fresh fish," mm-hmm. right? Chris, your fish might be the day you caught it is considered fresh. Kevin, I mean, yours could be two days. mine could be three days. But fresh fish means nothing. It's a I mean, general it's, term. It's a term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no definition. Um, fresh fish at a grocery store is Ooh. far from fresh. It's yeah. frozen. It's <laughs> <laughs> blah It has to be frozen. So is that really fresh? Mm. So anyway, we're trying to like you know uncover the mysteries of fish. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the term sushi grade. Everybody, you know, sushi grade. Sushi's not graded. There's no such thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it's <a> walking <laughs> stuff. Right. It means nothing. Um, I think a lot of people
1: would say, "Just to start to interrupt you, but would say, would like sushi? gravy would probably be pre-frozen so that a certain amount of time, or it was like fresh, then frozen and served to you after it's defrosted. Is that? Is there
2: anything like that? It could be how it's determined. I mean, if it's being sold in a store, it's already frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, but like true fish in Japan, some of that's frozen, but some of that is hasn't been frozen i wouldn't say it's fresh but it's not frozen hmm. um and then another thing that i thought was neat with going to japan was um i don't eat fish just by the way i don't like to taste the fish
0: that's interesting in itself <laughs> but we'll, we'll keep going and i'm an expert on how
2: to catch fish and um, process fish and harvest fish and mm-hmm. um but anyways but i would go to japan and i would catch or i'm sorry i would eat bluefin tuna yellowtail yellowfin you know, everything we have here. And it was palatable, like I, could, I could eat it. Mm-hmm. And I'd come home and I'd go yellowtail fishing, and I'd catch a yellowtail or a tuna, I'm like, I'll prepare it, I mean, mm-hmm. just like they did there, it's raw, you mm-hmm. cut off a chunk, you dip it in some wasabi and soy, and good to go. Mm-hmm. I tried it, I'm like, it's not the same stuff Really, had. Mm-hmm. It didn't taste the same. Maybe their fish is different, I don't know, but it's a yellowtail. Yellowtail is yellowtail. Tuna is a tuna. It can't be. It's how they process. It's how they kill it, is what we learned Mm -hmm. uh, through this whole thing was, you know, there's reasons why, like, high-end restaurants or high-end sushi bars, their yellowtail costs a lot more than the other guy. Right. It's because their fish is harvested using the Ikejimi process, and there's an actual taste difference. Wow. Mm -hmm. And a color, maybe? (coughs) There's also a color difference in the Yeah, color, texture. Um, basically a lot to it once you do it you'll you'll see it right off the bat Um, so we call the ekg made processed fish superior grade Mm. if you use this it's a superior grade it's it's above fresh it's above sushi grade which are marketing terms but andrew with ekg made federation actually has data that that i'm still learning that i'm trying to figure out how to tell it to the average consumer where they can understand it. But he actually Mm. has data to support that this is a better way to do it. it,
1: it How can you define data based on uh, something like taste? It's almost like art choices. It's something that you can't really put a finger on.
2: Yeah, you you can uh, through acidity. Oh, wow. Mm, Right. So there's different levels of acids that happen within a fish when it's being harvested, which gets into like step one of The process um, which is brain spiking the fish so when you catch a fish and you bring him over the rail and he's in your boat the fish is suffocating okay no water no water suffocating suffocation brings on cortisol uh, lactic acid and adrenaline it floods the muscle mass right that's the fillets it's it's being flooded with these acids so you want to eliminate that from happening So by simply taking the brain spike and turning off the fish's lights, right, he can no longer suffer from suffocation. So you've basically eliminated those acids from flooding the muscle tissue. So that's step one, and that's a big, big step. So if you just brought your fish over the rail and into the pail, he suffocates to death. You basically just ruined the entire carcass of the fish. It's now full of acids bacterias mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff so by putting the brain spike in it, it shuts all that down
1: and, and you're spiking the fish uh far enough into the skull of the fish it goes into the brain
2: yeah so a lot of people think because there are spikes on the market primarily in southern california where they're gigantic
1: thick you mean real thick and long mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. don't
2: you don't need that. Their brains are very close to the top of their skin, mm-hmm. of, their, of their head. So on a tuna, is really easy. They have that soft spot on top of their head. That's where a tuna fish's brain is located. On most other fish, it's really easy uh, between the eyeball and the gill, there's like a jaw line. It's called the preoperculum, okay. and you guys can actually see it on the picture here, Right. but if you line up the oh, preoperculum up to the top where the lateral line is, that's where the brain is located. So if you wow. simply take the spike and you push it into that spot, the fish's mouth will open and the fins flare. That's
1: when you know you That's did it right. That's when you know
2: you did it right. If you don't get that reaction you've missed, and it's just keep, keep doing it until you get that reaction. You'll learn really quick, like on a yellowtail. You do one and you figure out where that spot is. The next yellowtail you have already known. The first time you catch a vermilion red, you know you might think this is the spot you follow the you know what i just said and you may miss it Um, but the second you get it you'll you'll definitely know then you know for the next one
0: so the preoperculum spot you're showing to us is on a yellowtail so on a yellowtail you wouldn't really spike it the same way as a tuna you'd go through that spot
2: you can go through either the side or the top it doesn't it doesn't really matter just that's kind of where it's located is that generic across
0: many different species or is
2: yes okay. from what i've been told and the the number of fish that i've done this process to that's how i do it okay and from the from the side on the yellowtail
1: like or but what you're saying like the top like on the tuna
2: mm-hmm.
1: um that's only specific to tuna you think or you can go in through the top on all the fish. Okay,
2: I think just because like the it's deceiving because the picture of the fish is on its side, right? right. And that's where the little crosshairs line up. Right. But you can hit them from the side <laughs> right there, or you can go in like right on top of the fish in that same spot and press down, and you would still get the same result. What's
1: the best uh, if you're approaching this as a first timer or someone that's trying to learn? Is it better to go from the side with the preoperculum like visible with that um, curvature of the gill plate? Or is it better to go from the top and learn how to do it best from the top down?
2: Uh, probably through the side because then you have a visual okay. and then you can see it. And there is actually a benefit if you did it through the top that you can actually insert. I'm jumping ahead on the process, but sure. when you get into the circuit breaker, you can actually enter through the hole that you made to the brain because of the- On the side? No, on the front. Oh, you okay, have to go through okay. the front. You can't get the wire to bend if you, okay. did, if you did a side impact, but if you did a top impact to the brain. You've already created a little canal for you to fish your wire to, right. uh, to do you know step three
1: in the process. I'm uh, sorry. Is there any way we can get people to follow along with this as we're talking? Is there a visual aid that AFCO has produced? You produced?
2: Yeah, afco.com. Um, we have uh, each step is a video that we've done. We've done a full length video from start to finish. All the information you'd ever need is is on our website, and you can see step by step by step. It's all explained super simple super easy so anybody can literally watch it and have a really good understanding of what it takes to do this
1: Right, i think people should like watch it or at least have watched it after or before or after we've talked but definitely learning visually what yes. you're talking about yeah that's aftco yes that's <laughs> how you spread so,
2: dot com. <laughs> so that's uh, so step one is is uh brain so you you have to you've got to put that spike in his brain too so he's not suffering from suffocation uh, step two and now this is the longest process uh which is extanguination um, that's the cool term for bleeding okay <laughs> <laughs> so uh very simply uh everybody has their own way of bleeding a fish i don't want to say there's a wrong way to do it you just got to get the blood out uh the one way i've learned is simply open up the gill plate and underneath the gill rakers, there's a white membrane. And if you just start from the top of the collar and cut that membrane from the top of the collar all the way down to the throat latch, turn the fish over and make that same cut, you've got it going, so. It's basically an artery, right? Yeah, yeah, so, uh, and then also since the fish is brain dead, however, his heart is still pumping. He still has residual energy inside of him, so you wanna utilize that time when the heart's pumping to help get the blood out. So the blood load of a fish is, um, it's the largest bacteria part of a fish is the blood. So you don't want any blood in the fish. You wanna get all that bacteria out. And this is a very, very important process because a lot of guys, they say they bleed their fish, but they're not really doing it properly. Uh, so we go into two different ways to do it. So if, you're, if your boat has a hose, simply turn the hose on and put it right where you made those cuts and just let the water run over the the wound. Uh, So you wanna do that because fish blood coagulates quickly and you don't want it to clot and you basically just let that water run over it until the water is clear. Hmm. Uh, When the water is clear, the blood um, is out. If you're on a boat that does not have a hose, take a five gallon bucket fill it up with, uh, you know, if you're on the ocean, just fill it up with salt water and just put the fish in uh, head first and he'll bleed out right into that bucket and then as the bucket gets red pour it out get some clean and just keep doing that until the water is clear but don't skimp out on this process you want to keep them kind of that in that upside down like gravity pull it all out if you stopped early and then you threw him in the kill box or your kill bag and now he's on his side there's no way for that blood to escape so don't don't underestimate the amount of time it takes to to bleed a fish
1: and the in the blood in a fish is it running through the muscles and all over the place inside of a fish or is it literally like in the um, uh, certain areas in, inside the fish
2: so it's throughout the all the veins within the muscle mass so you want to try to get all of that out uh, but primarily like just the main arteries where the major load is going to be um, is in the main artery it's um, just
1: right, right along the spinal cord all the way through the arteries inside the gills etc yes okay yeah
2: so get that get that blood get that blood out so, once your fish is bled, um, step three is uh, called shinke jime or that's where the circuit breaker <laughs> wire comes into play. Um, you, so to, you have some here to show us yeah, too, do, right? I've so we can follow couple, along. A couple sizes here to show you guys. But we do, again, trying to make this easier for recreational anglers. Um, we prefer a tail cut to put the cable into because you can visually see it. Experts go through the head. So where you where you spike the fish, you can take the cable and run it through that same spot mm-hmm. and get it into the neural canal. It's not visual, and I I could see people trying to do it and then getting frustrated and saying, "This is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore." It's I just think, too difficult. I think
1: they do it, but they're really they're, not. They're, they're not. Um, it's spreading a needle through a fish's head. You know, it's kind of hard to to feel that. Yeah. 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 Expert at it. Into I'm sure. a small
2: cavity right right so it's difficult but with um is there is there any benefit
0: to doing it over the head as opposed to the tail or does it really the same thing
2: it accomplishes the same the same thing Um, so
1: so just to illustrate what you're doing right here to the audience that's listening you just pulled out out of this package that's labeled circuit breaker by afco this is the 20 inch uh, wire and you have in front of us a wire you just unwound that's made of titanium
2: uh, it's actually like a surgical steel.
1: Oh, surgical hmm. steel, okay. And it's got
2: a plastic, um, what would you call that? Uh, just a grip? A grip, yep. Okay. And then a little loop just so you got some sort of grip to, to put it into the fish. But uh, so with, with the wire, I'm gonna go back to, the, to making the cut and then we'll get into sure. the wire. Um, so right above the tail, you're gonna want to take your filet knife uh, and then kind of slice into the skin until you feel the backbone of the fish, the spine of a fish, and then simply just take your hand and just pop the top of the flay knife. So you sever the spine, but you don't want to completely take the tail off uh, because if the tail is still connected on the bottom by its skin, it acts as though it's like a little handle. Now I can turn the fish and physically Mm. see the spine of a fish and I can physically see the neural canal and I can physically see the main artery. and then the audience can't see this, but oh, I do have wow. a blown up picture of what it looks like. Um, so, you you know, in the center of the fish, this is the, sp- you know, the spine of the fish, and then directly on top, there's a hole. That's the neural canal. And the neural canal actually holds the spinal cord of a fish. And 180 degrees below that is the main artery. Um, that can be cut too to help with the bleeding process. But with this hole, so you take your cable, I'm sorry, Robbie. You're
1: saying that hole right there, or this one, the spine? No, that where my cursor
2: is. Okay, I, hole right there.
1: I, I was misunderstood at the beginning of maybe even before I had learned about this from you. But you are not feeding this wire down the spine.
2: It's part of the spine, but not
1: in the center of the spine.
2: So, so that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So. um you definitely have to have this illustrated up on the website or something for people to follow along, right? Because this is a very specific place.
2: Yeah, but once you make that cut and you open it up, you you'll see it. There's a hole there. Okay. So as long as you go on the on the hole on the top of the spine, that's the neural canal. So you got it. Kind of you, kinda, you mm-hmm. can't miss it. I mean, I've done this technique on like little mackerel, right? And I'm seeing the actual neural canal in these little mackerel. Wow. So imagine a fish that you're actually going to harvest. A right. tail a cod or whatever it is it's it's visible even a blind guy like myself can can see the neural canal just just fine okay um but yeah so with the cable we make it in um you know there's four different cables that we we make um the circuit breakers uh they're color coded so the, there's an orange one which is our freshwater cable that's going to be good for you know your trout panfish Etc. The blue one is very popular uh, on all coasts. Uh, This will take down all of your uh, Bass um, Cod Uh, On the East Coast, it's going to be your trout your redfish those types of fish Uh, Then we have a silver which is a little bit thicker gauge a little bit longer That's going to be your bigger yellowtail your bigger sea bass your smaller gray tunas And then we have a gold which is the same diameter Uh, Gauge-wise, it's just longer. It's a 50-inch, and so that's going to be your bigger tunas, swordfish, those types of things. Hmm. You need to
1: have a wire long enough that's nearly as long as a fish that you're trying to prepare?
2: Yes. So, And if your wire is too short, you have to then go once through the head and then once through the tail. Hmm. So with a 50-inch wire, you're knocking down a 100-inch body of a fish. That's a massive... Massive fish. Mm. Massive. Uh, massive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so when you do this, um, yeah, it's super easy. You simply insert the top into the neural canal. And again, it's very visual. You will see. You mm-hmm. have the fish in some cases, right? So let's say the fish has been bleeding out in the bucket for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. He's already been hit with a brain spike. He's dead. Mm-hmm. And Not take, feeling any of this. And you take this wire mm-hmm. and you hit that spinal cord and he comes to life. Kind of scare you to death. Really? They will sometimes they just quiver, but sometimes they start bucking like you just caught it. Really. Huh. And that's the energy that's still built up in the fish. That's the excess energy in the fish that is coming out, which is uh, which is kind of neat to see, but yeah. if you get a reaction, you've done it right. You've done it right. And uh, so the the spinal cord is a series of vertebrae. And then there's a that canal that runs to each vertebrae, and it's really important. With when Andrew designed this wire, was to go from one vertebrae to the next easily, and then also be able to work for commercial guys who are going to harvest hundreds or, if not thousands, of fish annually. Right. It's got to hold up to to that. It doesn't kink. Uh, it doesn't necessarily. Um, it won't bra- have a broken one yet, but it just slides right in. You slide it all the way up till it hits basically the brain you know you rock it back and forth a couple times Mm -hmm. and you've now paralyzed the fish Um, and the importance of using the circuit breaker wire is by paralyzing the fish you now tricked the fish into knowing it's dead right so there's natural things that happen to the human body or even fish Mm -hmm. when you die things start happening to tell parts of your body, hey, you're dead. You need to start shutting up. This needs to start to decay. You need to go into rigor mortis. Your body Mm core temperature needs to rise. You need to do all these things. Well, by inserting this wire into the neural canal, it's paralyzed. It can no longer talk to the flesh or the the fillets that you're going to want to eat, so they don't know that they're dead. Interesting. So they don't break down. It gives you an incredible amount of uh, longevity to where your Again, fresh fish that we talked about at the beginning is a day or two.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now you're talking weeks. No way, weeks that it stays fresh in your refrigerator. So again, what? I only Holy need one smokes. yellowtail, which will last me a month, versus going out and catching a yellowtail every weekend. I don't need it you know. Let's say you average a yellowtail a week to eat, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, yeah, one a week. You don't have to kill as many, right? Right, because it's fresh. And you don't it's, have to freeze it. You don't have to freeze it. Six second, anybody out there listening? If you freeze your fish, just stop it already. I mean, that, <laughs> just take it because the second you freeze, you just lose like everything. You wouldn't go yeah. buy a filet mignon at a meat house and put it in the freezer. That's right. Right. That's, That's True. true. That, That's fair. No way. Mm-hmm. So why why are you doing that to your fish? It's just it's just not good. So just take what you're going to consume, but by using this process. It'll now last a lot longer. Uh, so one thing we've learned going back to the beef side is aged beef. Everybody mm-hmm. knows what aged beef is, mm-hmm. right? It tastes better. It's got better texture. Voila, you're doing that now to fish.
1: Without having the um, the bad actors in the scene, bacteria and the acids yep. and whatever, cortisol, is that what you said? Cortisol, yeah. Yep. So th- this is going to, you said um, weeks. Weeks. That goes for yellowtail and everything, right?
2: Yeah, everything out there. So it's basically you're aging it just like you're aging beef. So there's Hmm. enzymes in the meat that naturally start to come out. The texture gets better. And by this process is why when I would go to Japan, that fish tasted better. It's because this is how it was harvested versus what we do, do, which Mm -hmm. would be take it out of the ocean maybe put a brain spike in it maybe gut it maybe and mm-hmm. then just throw it in a bed of ice and call it good call it good. Yeah. Um, wow so that's that's what this process does and then you know the third part of the process i'm sorry the fourth part is cool down um, so again the core body temperature of the fish rises naturally from death so you want to bring that core body temperature down so a slurry salt water to ice 50 50 make sure the fish is completely submerged you don't put a fish on a bed of ice you don't throw them on top of your slurry take the one second to shove them in it Mm -hmm. surround them in freezing cold make the effort make the effort and then if you put them in straight and then you pack them soldier style which is head to tail tail to head Mm -hmm. and they're all straight they won't bounce off of each other, they won't get beat up, but more importantly, when you take that fish out to fillet it, he is straight, versus everybody bounce. seeing the big sea fish, and yep. you gotta fillet that fish, so you compress his head and his tail, you shove Bruise him down, him. and you basically just bruised everything yeah. inside the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's that's the ikejimi process, um, so it goes from, again, from, you know, we're taking fresh fish and we're making superior grade uh, by following these four steps.
1: I didn't see um, gutting as part of a step. Is that yeah. something you also recommend?
2: So I recommend it. Again, I'm trying to um, educate our angler, and the major concern that people talk about is speed. I don't have enough time. So you don't necessarily have to gut the fish right there on the spot to have this quality. Now, if you did do that extra step, um, it's going to help the cool-down process quicker. Mm-hmm. Other than that, that's about it. So the cool really? going is be, gonna be quicker. Um, so not super important, good to do if you got the time, but in a wide open bite, like a lot of guys are like, I'm not gonna stop and do this thing when they're biting. I'm like, cool, I get mm-hmm. it, I wouldn't either. But you could get the fish over the rail, put the spike in its head, that takes one second. You can take a knife and you can cut both gills, which mm-hmm. takes five seconds, 10 seconds. Mm-hmm throw them upside down in a bucket, grab a new bait, and cast. What about EKG, Let, them, mate, let, them, let them, Well, the fish has got to bleed out. Right. And you don't want to skimp out on the bleeding process, so just let that fish bleed out in the bucket. Go ahead and catch more if you can catch more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you actually have about a 30-minute window on when the wire needs to be inserted. So it doesn't really? have to be inserted right away. You've got about a 30-minute window to experience superior grade. If you went past that 30-minute... And you did the wire you 're still getting a an incredible result by doing it mm-hmm. it's just not going to be
0: Absolutely. as good yeah,
2: yeah. Hmm.
0: so you kind of hit on something that I wanted to touch on where a lot of the sport boats, at least the last handful of years, maybe in the last ten years or so we've gotten pretty good at spiking our fish and pretty much leaving it at that. sometimes you know on the big tuna they'll they 'll gill and get it right then and there, um, kind of trying to do the same process. What what should be our plan, at least for the sport boats who have 30 different anglers all at once um, for the process to where, you know, between doing that for all the fish coming aboard or, you, majority. you know, a majority, yeah. What, what do you think that they should do?
2: Well, because I've worked on those boats mm-hmm. um, and I know a lot of guys that work on those boats and everything that those guys do is a process. Yeah. So when you want to screw up or screw around with their process you know that's change mm-hmm. that's sometimes not so good on some of these boats they've got to figure out how to implement it to where they can still do it efficiently and still get everything done they need to get done right. um, so we have early adopters um, I want to say Tim Ekstrom uh, Frank Lepresti they've been doing the wire for a number of years on their fish whether their passengers oh, wow. know it or not they have been doing parts of the process uh, the rest of the fleet I don't know if they do or not um
0: so it's already been implemented the last couple of years and we just don't really know about it you don't about it. know about it oh.
2: um you know a lot of those a lot of the long range boats they pride themselves on the, on their quality and everything that they want to do is better for their customer um as a matter of fact when we came out with the wires like frank called immediately and was hey i, I want to get some of those wires mm-hmm. so we sent him some wires um and i know tim's been doing it for a while I don't know what tool he's using, but he's been he's been doing it. Um, but it's just going to take time. I think a lot of passengers that I've talked to, um, guys that would go on these trips, they're buying all the tools. Mm-hmm. And I basically just told them, I said, hey, just ask a deckhand if it's cool if you just did it. You're, if they don't want to do it, just say, that's fine. Are you cool if I did it? Absolutely. And yeah. I think they'd be yeah. down to do that. Um, so that's kind of where it started. So getting the sport boat fleet on board for me is kind of down the road like that's yeah i think if if we ever get all that then we then we won mm-hmm. but right now it's more private boater just getting that those guys educated and um, short pounders yeah Man, uh, yeah
1: pier guys yeah, yeah. If even freshwater guys if you're telling me trout lasts longer yes. too like there's mm-hmm. a lot of people out there trout fishing yes catfish
2: anything right i bet it tastes way different after you do this way different Mm -hmm. yeah that's a lot of people you know so once we get the sport boat fleet then i think we've we've won like as you said Mm -hmm. like the majority of them right now they're they're spiking the fish and then tunas are easy from the bleeding thing Mm -hmm. you know they they clip the side blood's going everywhere now do they do it long enough that i don't know because normally it goes into the bin Mm-hmm. There's no water going over. How much coagulation taking place? I see a lot of
1: people putting hoses in the mouth. So, I mean, they do a good yeah. job. They, yeah. They certain do, yeah, certain yeah, boats, certain boats definitely
2: do a better job than others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then like the wire's not there. Right. Every big boat now has an RSW, so styling there. So they're mm-hmm. like they're batting. You know, they're three for four. They're like one step away from having superior grade. Yeah. And I think once they get it dialed in. It like literally takes seconds, and especially if you got a guy who's good at it,
1: mm, right?
2: He'll be able to just zip through them like mm-hmm. no big deal. It'd be like you know the bleeding process, yeah. You know, clip, clip, and then instead of clip, clip, it's just going to be running the wire up the canal and. Done.
1: the neural canal you're talking about is that on only one side of the fish or is it always on the top of the spine where is it located it's always on the top of the spine okay um it's on every single the fish. dorsal fin side of the fish yes okay
2: yeah so that would be that hole and there's another hole on 180 degree on the bottom okay that's the main artery
1: oh okay okay so but you can't you don't do anything with that
2: no yeah. no just that top one, that and that holds the spinal cord where the Mm-hmm. Can
0: slip into it. So, Robbie, I see on this uh, slideshow, there's some there's some reds over there. Mm. Um, I don't know. I know you've shared with me this story in the past, but um, do you want to tell us the Boccaccio story?
2: Yeah, actually, I've got it here next on my uh, oh, on my seminar here. So. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: at one of the shows, I, I basically asked the audience, you know, I said, name that fish. And uh, so here's like this little fillet of a fish on a plate. Looks mm, beautiful. And, and I asked the audience, you know, can anybody name what this is? And, you know, sea bass, it's halibut, it's right. calico, blah, blah, blah. And I said, uh, guys, that's Boccaccio. That's <laughs> Mr. Salmon Drooper. <laughs> We've all caught tons of them and you guys treat it like garbage and you throw it overboard and mm-hmm. you won't eat it. And people talk about they have worms. Right. I've never seen a worm in a Boccaccio personally. Um, but we did this process and it turned out amazing. We were at Providence, which is a uh, restaurant in LA. Uh, Michael, who's the head chef, he's a Michelin star rated top notch chef. And he's like, have you ever had sashimi bokach? And I'm like, no. Sashimi? <laughs> sashimi. So he cuts off a slice and he throws it to me and I'm like, well, let's see how this goes. It's one of two ways. It's you know, <laughs> good or for bad. Honey fish. Yeah, and I ate it, and I got it in my mouth, and I got it down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't a cow winner, but I got it in and down. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that that says something. And then he did a very simple pan sear, and um, again for me, it's even worse when you cook a fish. For me personally, like I can eat, I can eat it raw. A lot better than I can eat it cooked. Hmm. I think when you cook it, like a lot of the oils, like, comes out of the fish. (laughs) (laughs) But I I took a little bite of it, and and again, I got it in my mouth and down my throat. I was like, man, that that was pretty killer. But Mm -hmm. again, when you're fishing and all you have to catch are bocaccio, don't think of it as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. If you did this process, you're going to bring home incredible food incredible food it was it blew everybody away in the restaurant we handed samples oh, really? out to people that were there they were super stoked uh and then the other fish that we brought up there was uh, can, can we get a bar hand at this one at this line and see if we can name that oh fish? Yeah. so i got another picture up of a fish that uh is on a platter and it's done up a bunch of different ways you go first chris what do you think and that is
1: oh that's a lot
0: that's a lot of pressure i think on the far left that kind of looks like Yellowtail. I think that's all yellowtail.
2: So, you're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that is Bonita. No way. Oh, so interesting. So, again, what I wanted to show the guys out west is two fish that you can catch basically year-round that are way overlooked and really mistreated, hmm. and if you treat these fish with a little bit of respect, you get an incredible meal. You, I mean... That's, that's bonita. It's very um, pale in comparison
1: to what normal people would see. It's, yeah. like, it's not very red or pink. This is very uh, wild. Like, yes. Yeah, like very, very light pink, very light.
2: Yeah, and actually, when I was going to Japan, I ate quite a bit of bonita, and I thought this is a Japanese bonita. This is not an American bonita, but bonita is a bonita. Yeah. And that's, again, that's how they harvest it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm. and it, it's, it's, again, for me, it's okay. But to you guys who actually like fish, it would be great.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so what about yellowtail? Do you have any pictures of what the meat looks like there? Or do you have any personal experience
2: with it? Yeah, uh, well, nothing like side by side because I didn't, I didn't want to really ruin any yellowtail, but I did do like a little bit of an experiment with mackerel. Really? The greenbacks? Um, just a greenback, just to kind of give guys an idea of what it looks like. So I would go and catch three mackerel. I would do the EKGMA process on two and I would let one flop flop and Mm -hmm. die how we would normally harvest a fish. So I would take that one and flay it out and then I would take one of the EKGMA ones and I would flay it out and then I would put one filet next to another as a visual and you would see one filet of a mackerel is nice and clean and white. And the other one is a nasty, bloody,
1: gross mess. Yeah. Um,
2: And then the third fish, I would just gill and gut. And I would leave it, all the skin on, the head still on and everything. But no EKG made? No, EKG made. Okay. And I would take pictures of that fish uh, every day. And I did it for about three weeks. And at week three, the fish was still clear in the eyeball. You can still see the stripes. He still had a silver belly. Holy smokes. He was still as clean as I'll get out. I've got pictures of um, uh, vermilions that are three weeks old that are still orange and red and looks oh like it was gosh. caught this morning what? and it was in my refrigerator for three weeks.
1: Okay so not that is that just because of EKGMA or is it also because you you know use a, the absorbent pads or a paper towel like is that just because of EKGMA? Just EKGMA. Really? Yep.
2: So what happens when you do this? So we added yeah the absorbent pad and so that was another thing from me growing up fishing Dana Wharf Sport Fishing Newport you'd go out on the half day three quarter day you'd catch your sand bass the guy would play right. it at the table he would take your fillets and just rinse them off in the bait well which don't ever rinse off your fish folks uh, that
0: know. was my next question
2: um, and then they would <laughs> take your fillets and they would throw it into the Ziploc bag mm-hmm. you know and you're all stoked because we didn't know anybody. and you'd go home and you'd put that bag of fish in your fridge and then you would pull it out normally it's the next night right. you would make fish tacos or whatever but You ever see in the bottom of that bag? It's about a one inch thick of fish goo, moisture, water, goo. So that is basically Mm -hmm. bacteria. Yeah. So (laughs) your fillets have now been uh, marinated in bacteria. Now it's not bacteria that's going to kill you, because we'd all be dead by now. Yeah. But it kills the fish itself. It like really ruins the flavors. So by adding the absorbent pad to the bag. And then put your flays in on top the absorbent pad's going to absorb all of that excess moisture so there's no or there's not none but there's a lot less bacteria going on it's not proliferating it's not growing right when it's being sucked out into the absorbent pad it's just like you go to the store and you buy a pack of chicken it has and the, the pad in the, the sterile that's oh. what it is mm. it's absorbing any moisture so your chicken isn't marinating in bacteria it's interesting Taking that kind of that bacteria out um and that's why you would use the absorbent pad. But as far as, like, having the fish last longer and, like, look so pretty, it's all about the EKGME process.
1: Uh, kind of an off-topic
2: question, but do hunters use this technique? They understand harvesting better, but I don't think it really works because when you shoot an animal, mm. um, you got to chase it down. There's, I think there's a lot more logistics that, that yeah. take place, but they do understand... Um, quality for example if you if you shot a deer and let's say you stoned it and it drops down dead like they know like that animal is going to taste better than one that they shot they spooked and it ran three miles because mm-hmm. as it's running now it's adding in all Stress, the acid, stresses rise. and yeah. that one's not going to taste as good so okay. but they understand it but um
1: Uh, The timing is not going
2: to... Well, they don't necessarily have the neural canal that holds the spinal cord. They actually have more of a spinal cord like you and I. It's a different different anatomy.
1: Got it. Got it.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, this is a very um, eye-opening education process. (laughs) I mean, I I have to do this now. Yeah. I I think that a lot of people, like you said, it's maybe a timing thing or something stuck in their head. They want to just get fish, get fish, get fish, and they don't care about the fish. They want to catch more. But... If you have a better quality of fish and you and you want to eat it for a longer period of time and you never throw any of it away, what's to say that doesn't equal to the same amount of yield as you would just, you know, harvesting a bunch of fish versus really pre- taking care of it, you know?
2: Yeah. I, I again, I, boy, I wish I ate fish because uh, <laughs> I would be able to, to eat a lot more on, uh, on um, anyways. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just think if people followed this process, they're going to have a better taste it's going to last longer you don't have to harvest as many and i think it's just the right thing we need to do for our fishery whether it be freshwater or saltwater. you know you hammer a, any fishery long and hard enough you're going to put some impact on it in some way shape or form mm-hmm. and if we're only having to take one or two we'll use yellowtail as an example one or two versus five you know that's three more to spawn for somebody Mm -hmm. else to catch, right? There's so much more that can happen if we just really kept what we need and really understood what we need. Or actually have a game plan, right? Mm, These fish need to be treated with respect. And right now there's a lot of disrespect. It's all about, it's just old school thought. Mm -hmm. Catch as many, kill as many, fill up that refrigerator full and then stuff all those killer fillets right into the freezer bag put it in the freezer and all you've got left over is a bunch of chum
1: throw it yeah. out a year later yeah,
2: yeah. and yeah. that could have been one that was still swimming
1: right it's true conservation you're trying to make an effort to give a reason why you would take less but have better quality
2: yeah right it's best of both worlds mm-hmm. right. right why not have like the best tasting possible and then having it last longer but not having to kill as many right yeah yeah
0: it's perfect Robbie, have you, like, in, in what um, you've seen out there in the industry and just, I guess, different industries or different fisheries, is the whole conservation movement kind of like what we've been talking about to where we're not out trying to kill everything. We just want to kill one and take it back. Is that kind of um, uh, gaining steam rather than the old-school mentality? Certain parts of the country,
2: yes. Um, I was in Louisiana last week, and Venice is – Yellowfin Tuna Capital. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty awesome yellowfin tuna place. And they're adopting Ikejime, a lot of their captains. And a lot of their captains have been smart, or they're smarter. When they're talking to their customers, if you're going to come down here, I'm going to show you this experience. We're going to go catch a bunch of fish, but I'm only going to let you kill one or two per day. It's what you need Mm -hmm. or not. The days of flatbed trucks with 50, 100-quart coolers, those days are over. Where yeah. that's basically what they would do um, ten years ago, roughly, and uh, but used to get to other parts of the country, and it's still mm-hmm. uh, you know it's like the bragging thing, and that's a hard thing to get over, right? like when even sport boat captains, you're graded on the number of fish you bring back to the dock,
1: yeah, or yeah. the size
2: or the size, right but so, but that
1: kind of actually coincides with conservation. the size increases typically when you have better conservation efforts you get larger tuna for example right or larger yellowtail if if we started hitting them a lot less you know it would it would grow in size so maybe you'd actually have more meat after you're done with this with less amount of work and you know bigger fish
2: yeah so it's a never-ending thing i think this is (laughs) gonna it's gonna not necessarily it's gonna stick i know it's gonna survive it's the right thing for the fishermen to do is this process if they want the highest quality mm-hmm. um you know it's a learning curve but like you guys are avid anglers and you guys right now i'm looking at you and you're pretty like blown away at yeah. yes this can't be true and like i can tell you, is you just go do it yourself mm-hmm. you know and it's it's all there japan wouldn't be doing it for centuries or not centuries but a Decades. very very long time yeah. <laughs> uh if it wasn't you know hmm. truth so where, where can someone um
1: find the make kits from afco
2: so most tackle stores uh locally here in southern california have it um you know starting to spread kind of at all tackle stores um or you can get it at our on our website aftco.com you can pick them up there and right next to all the informational videos
0: and they're all in different sizes as well and you kind of have to get the correct size right
2: yeah so i would recommend to most guys um because you're going to codfish fish and then you're going to go catch some pelagics uh, the average angler so if you bought the blue one that's going to be your smaller grade fish mm-hmm. and then if you got the silver or the gold one that's going to tackle all of your bigger pelagics
1: can you have a longer needle, needle than needed like can you go after a certain size needle to try to get one size for all for well, someone trying to get into this
2: because the neural canals are different like sizes so you couldn't you can't take a 14 gauge wire and put it into a cot it's the, the wire oh, is too see. thick to fit into the canal and that's where this gauge wire comes into play. Son gauges. Son gauges, yeah. Hmm. So you got to match the wire to the size of the canal to that makes sense. to make it to make it work.
0: Right. Interesting. Well, Robbie, I know we have to get uh, get you out here, but um I would be absolutely mortified if we didn't talk a little CCA yeah. with the uh, with the uh, you being the president of the Orange County chapter, you've got some pretty fun events coming up.
2: That we do. Um, I think by the time this goes live, uh, you'll miss out on our uh, slow pitch jigging seminar. So we've got that one coming up here uh, the really day after, soon the day after tomorrow. I think. Yeah. Um, so that'll be fun with uh, with Joey and Caesar. Um, so a great group of guys. Uh, then following that, uh, we have our second annual golf tournament, uh, the Costa Mace, the Country Club, August fifth. Uh, time it'll be in the morning versus last year it was in the evening. Uh, but all the details to come. Uh, so those of you who are listening that want to get involved, uh, please check out CCA.org. C-
1: California. org. C- uh, president, the-,
2: the president, I don't even know the <laughs> <laughs> or the website.
1: It's uh, right underneath the events tab. So yep. you can go ahead and click on the events tab and they'll find all the events that CCA has, including the Orange County Golf Tournament that they're going to be having.
2: Yeah, so that one was super fun last year. Oh, uh, this such year's a gonna blast. going to be even... Even more fun. we got more guys on board. Um, if anybody out there who's listening also wants to be a sponsor, we do have whole sponsorship available. Um, and you get to pick your own game. So you'll get hole seven. It's a par four, 260 yards. Whatever you want to do to make your hole fun.
1: You can get creative, too. Get creative. Do whatever you want. As a sponsor, you can pick out your game for the... Yeah. Okay, Yeah. Cool. So
2: we had uh, last year uh, uh, the Daiwa hole, I think, was the biggest hit. Uh, oh. <laughs> last year, it was a par 3 90-yarder? Yeah, something like super 90. Super wow. short, And they took a casting rod and a spinning rod, and we drilled or put eyelets and golf balls, and you got to cast your golf ball out of the tee box <laughs> versus hit That's it. That's true. <laughs> Which was super fun um, for everybody because what was interesting, when we you know, when we put it all together. We thought it's going to be just anglers. Mm-hmm. Well, my father-in-law wanted to support CCA. He's not a fisherman, and he brought three of his buddies. They're all golfers. Well, they had to go cast their golf. That was the rule for Dyewood. You, you have to cast. They loved it. Mm-hmm. They were just joking with their buddies, giving them a hard time, backlashes, snapping lines, just all kinds of fun. So they had a blast. That
0: must have been the most popular hole,
2: too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the Hobie guys were there. Um, you know, they had kayaks out on display. Yeah. Kevin, um, do you golf? I do golf. Um, I slice
1: really bad. That's okay. Right. <laughs> You'll fit right in. Yep. I would love to come up.
2: These are August fifth. All right, which I believe yeah. is a Friday. Yep. Um, oh wow. That's it'll be cool. a morning event. You, we should have you out of there by you know two o'clock at the latest. At the latest, yeah. and that'll be award ceremonies, a nice lunch, all that stuff. We'll be will be good to go. Um, and then we're also doing. We're we're working on the details right now for. Um, uh, a membership charter uh, that's coming up, so we'll be yep. on the lookout for that, and we'll mm-hmm. do that out of uh, out of Dana Wharf. Um, so we've got a lot of fun things in Orange County, and then all the other chapters obviously have for sure. tons of really cool stuff that they're doing.
1: We have a lot of people that are coming into the sport. How would you recommend they get in touch and, and experience, like p- participating in a chapter event, or and you said new members. I mean, how do you? What do you think is best for someone coming into this?
2: Well, I think if anything, you got to go to the CCA website and Mm -hmm. just get a get an understanding of what CCA is all about, um, what our mission is, um, and you know, and it it does take it takes special people to do what we do. um, Just from a dedication, Mm -hmm. we get a lot of individuals who have a heart of gold. That hey, I want to be part of your chapter and okay great and then we'd get them in and all of a sudden there's work to be done and they have no time we don't really need people on our board that can't do that we would mm-hmm. you know we want them to be part of cca so if you don't have the time just be a member that yeah. would be fantastic or if you could help out at the pcs show or the fred hall show maybe one day a year volunteering. volunteering would be great but,
0: that's the that's the beauty about cca where you can actually get into cca on your own different level hmm. you don't have if you just want to be a member every year perfect if you want to be chapter president like robbie even better but we also have everything in between too
2: yeah it's 35 bucks yeah annually yeah. annually mm-hmm. four thousand I mean,
1: dollars lifetime get in there and be a yeah. lifetime member like all of us here yeah. so mm-hmm. we are
2: yeah. um and I, I just i again for everybody who's listening and if you're not a member of cca i'm gonna say shame on you mm-hmm. uh it's 35 bucks right mm-hmm. like don't buy a Starbucks right. five a times month. every month. Yeah. <laughs> right, it's thirty one Starbucks. So and and yeah. if you if you, you know, if you can, right? CCL also has the the monthly yeah. Right, the contribute to conservation program. Yeah, it's and ten bucks a month. Yeah, hit your credit card. Hit your credit mm-hmm. card, and I'm, I don't know a lot of us. You're not going to ten bucks a month is not going to kill you, mm-hmm. and all the money that we bring in as a chapter stays within California. So it fights California. So mm-hmm. the bis- misconception, if you want to say there's one, is on the membership side, a portion of the membership goes back to national to run yep. the whole corporation. They they gotta it's make fair. some money too. It's fair. But when I when we put on the golf tournament and we raise, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, well you, we only give away if anybody if nobody became a member, all that money goes right to the state our state Mm -hmm. our cca Board team will then take that money and fight the good fight um so which which we're
1: fighting great by the way there's a lot of great great things coming out (laughs) from cca as far as i mean we're we've definitely protected um anglers from a lot of adversity certainly some some headwind that we had especially in the sport fishing community uh carb the cardboard you know we've um brought that back to reality as far as timing and Deadlines that need to be met for, you know, tier four upgrades. And SAC. So SAC was a big. That's right. So there's a lot of great uh, news that is coming out from CCA's participation and contribution to fighting the good fight, like you said.
2: Yeah. And the fights that we have in front of us now are just what we have now. Those are the only visual ones. Mm-hmm. Right. The other side, the I call them the bad guys, they've got a laundry list of things that they're going to be dropping on us all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's a never-ending battle to make sure mm-hmm. we can fish. Right? Right. There's always those guys, the bad guys, that are coming after us, and we need the support. We need you know, people. We need mm-hmm. more members. We need not just on the board side but just more members within CCA that can be advocates for us, that can go mm-hmm. out and talk to their buddies and their friends or fishing clubs or whatever it may be just to let them know because so many things that we learn are so flown under the radar right. but mm-hmm. it's our job to know but the average angler had probably no clue we almost lost our sardine.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Like Every year
0: too. Right? Like, it happens every single yeah. year.
2: And they, they were clueless. Like they yeah. had no idea. But if it wasn't for CCA we might not have sardine right now. But, mm-hmm. they, right. You know, but it's constantly just those things where the average guy just doesn't know. So if you're a member you're going to be informed. You can help. Mm-hmm. you can advocate you can you can just do what needs to be done and which is fight the good fight
0: yeah one of those things kevin which um we were just on the radio show on saturday one of the things that came out was tanner and contres were about to be closed or shut off Yeah, and ended up luckily you know wayne and, and the gr committee and all that with cca cal we ended up preventing that which is great and no one no one knew about it right nobody
1: knew, knows about it so The only real people that are out there that are hunting this, you know, um, side of things are people that are really involved. CCA boards members and especially Wayne and you, Chris. Like man, you guys are just out there. You're the you're the Batman of the fishing industry. Yeah. <laughs> Did you
2: just well, call him Robin?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Green lights and everything. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Robbie, thank you so much for coming on, yeah, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, it was fun. Yes, thank you. Very One much. more time. How do we get a hold of the EKG May um, gear, and how do we get a hold
2: of you at AFCOM Yeah. So uh, the websites. Number one, it's got everything you'd want to know about uh, EKG May or fun and all the great food. apparel too. All the great yeah. apparel, all the other cool fishing tackle stuff that we that we have here. So I was just the, about to say we didn't even get
0: get a chance to discuss all the knives, the fluorocarbon, and all that. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, oh, but uh yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm sure there's more to come too.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, I got a laundry list of stuff coming out of iCast this year but um, i guess it means i get to come back on your guys' show oh for sure again so that'll be that'll be fun
0: for sure we'll have to have you on after the golf tournament and after iCast and all that and we can start bragging about AFCO again
2: yes mm-hmm. yes for sure so yeah AFCO.com um, and you know CCA org for mm-hmm. all the information uh, on CCA so if you want to become uh, you know a member obviously but if you want to become a board member or even volunteer just go through uh you know the cca's yep. uh, website there
0: just hit the contact us button we'll get you in touch yeah
2: and then chris will you know put you guys in touch with the correct um uh chapter mm-hmm. and we'll see obviously if, if you're in we're gonna have you you know yep. if you want to be a board member we're not going to say no to anybody we, <laughs> we need uh we need the bodies but uh yeah love to love to have more guys uh participate in the phone calls and more volunteer just makes life a lot easier Thank for you. sure for sure kevin i don't know about you man i learned a
0: crap ton this week
1: uh man it's amazing to be able to have someone in inside of a, you know the circle of, of cca and to have so much knowledge and to be able to deliver to all our audience also to, to educate them in great detail on how to do um, something that he's been doing for 20 years, 15, 20 years. is amazing. I mean, this has flown by us for, <laughs> for as long as we're almost born or old, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I think next week when we have another great guest, we're going to learn a lot more too. And every single week we get better and better at doing this. So what we like to see everyone out there who's listening to this podcast do is just subscribe to the podcast. We want to know that you're listening, support us. We want to have more great guests. And the better we get at this, the better you're going to get guests. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to have better and better content. And certainly, um, you know, it's going to go a long way as far as conservation efforts. And we're going to listen to great guests that that are on the show every single week. So join us next week on Thursday again. When we bring another great show to you Absolutely and let us know how we're doing on the podcast too send
0: us a review via the website or even leave us a five star review on your podcast provider. Um, other than that, guys thank you so much for joining us. make sure to follow us on Instagram at CCA California. send us a note via the website at CCACalifornia.org. attend all our, our all of our events. So make sure you listen to us keep listening every week and we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much.